Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Jim McKnight about making disciples and planting churches amongst the 1.3 million people who serve with the U.S. military. I was just thinking about a story that happened two days ago. Um, it was Sunday afternoon, and I got a text from uh, a guy I'm discipling named John. And John said, hey, we're going to have a baptism this afternoon. And uh, I went over to this uh, boat dock, and a guy that John had been discipling, um, was baptized that day. His name was uh, Quentin. And I was just reflecting on how we hit that fourth generation baptism. And I just think it's so indicative of kind of how it works in the West. So I was discipling a guy. He's overseas right now. We'll call him R. All right. So R, he, he led John to Christ and baptized him. And then R went overseas and I began to disciple John in his place. So, you know, John, for me, John's an existing believer because I didn't lead him to faith. Well, then another guy I was discipling, Tyler, he led Avery to faith and baptized him. Then Tyler left and Tyler handed, <laughs> handed off Avery to John. So there's a discipleship chain going on there where they had come to faith in our movement, but both are existing believers. And now Avery just led a, a, another soldier in his unit to faith and baptized him. So I'm just like, okay, we hit fourth generation. But if I put that on the gen map, someone might say, well, is that really? Because those two guys were existing believers. And I was like, you know, as long as we're doing it in the West and it's kind of a big, it's always going to be kind of a, mm you know, a hodgepodge. And I, you're just thinking, I feel like the Lord is just telling me that's because there's only one person getting the glory here. And that's me. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the military is, is my oikos. Those are my people. We talk about having Moses syndrome for your people and owning it. And, you know, I came to faith while I was on active duty in the army and I was discipled for years um, just to reach others in my units and then the Lord eventually called me out. So I just have a heart for them. And uh, there's a lot of brokenness and suicide and sexual assault and harassment and, you know, kind of whatever uh, the Western society is made up of. We, we raise it to the second power in the military, good and bad. And uh, so I want to reach them. No place left, you know, U.S. Army. They're a reached people group by all the standards. But there's a lot of lost and brokenness there. And we want to keep reaching them. But probably what has become our best contribution is um, it turns out that these military folks, um, they all eventually get out and they make really good cross-cultural workers when they get out. Um, you know, they've moved around a couple of times. They've been through a good bit of adversity. Their families are kind of more used to some uncertainty and uh, their husband disappeared for a long time on a training exercise or deployment. and so. We figured out that one of our best contributions is, is reaching soldiers and raising them up and then sending them to unreached people groups as they go. And uh, slowly but surely, we're putting people overseas that way. And um, 
unless God tells me otherwise, I'm going to be on the mobilized team as much as I'd like to, you know, go back to the side of a mountain in Afghanistan and, you know, share my faith. Uh, that's not where God has me right now. So I think that's what we're trying to do. Reach the army and from the army to the nations and to the nation. We're seeing U.S. cities be impacted as well. So um, I think you maybe have had Jack on before. Mm-hmm. And Jack is uh, just tearing it up in Rochester, New York, of all the unlikely cities mm-hmm. in the world. Um, they, you know, uh, Austin Wilson and I, you know, both probably more Austin than me, had a hand in, you know, raising him up. And um, and, and again, neither of us uh, led him to faith. That was, you know, another disciple along the way in our work. So, but uh, Rochester and um, we have a, a committed church in Atlanta and we're working on Charleston and we've got work in Dallas through a third generation uh, college student there. So it's, it's happening. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a story of someone in the military that, uh, you know, the, how they've been reached and the gospels impacted their lives and led to discipleship? You can use any name you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think John would mind me using his name. We'll just, you know, use him. He was led to faith by R probably, um, gosh, probably four years ago now. Um, and his wife, Lauren, um, she was um, an existing believer. And, um, you know, there were some things that they really wanted to work on in their marriage. And so we walked through that stuff with them. And, you know, they're marriage today is a you know an example of what of christ in the church to others around them and um when they first came to faith uh you know we you know spent a lot of time with them and and did help them establish them in in a lot of the basics and foundational things well he probably would have shared um uh the gospel illustration of two kingdoms with him i'm probably Mm -hmm. sure that's what john heard as he was coming to faith and that point of that is uh you know, the idea that if Jesus isn't your Lord, he's not your Savior either. You're not a Christian if Jesus mm-hmm. isn't your Lord. And that's a pretty important message for the West because we've got a lot of cultural Christianity. And so that plows up a lot of things. And I think John wrestled with that idea and then came to the conclusion he was that R was right and um, need, you know, needed, to, needed to repent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was baptized and he started sharing his faith with Zach. Zach got baptized. Um, and then Zach, uh, moved to East Tennessee and he's leading a church there now. Um, and John and Lauren, they, uh, they moved over to, uh, another, they moved to another army post, maybe a year, 18 months after R was working with them. And I worked with them a little bit and that, that move to East Georgia, about four hours away. Um, uh, I think that that didn't go maybe the way they had hoped. Uh, it was, they didn't start a church right away. I don't know that anybody came to faith. They, you know, it was kind of hard. I, and I think of it kind of like, um, Aquila and Priscilla getting dropped off in Ephesus. And by the time Paul gets back there, you know, not a lot, they, they helped Apollos, but other than that, we can't say like after, like at Acts 8, 1910, all Asia heard the word of the Lord through Aquila and Priscilla. Paul did something different in Ephesus than what they were doing to catalyze that kind of work. And I think John and Lauren um, felt like maybe that was kind of what was going on, but they, he got a chance to move back to the local area here in, in, in Western Georgia. 
and um, hey, things started taking off. So uh, other people started coming to faith. And, you know, one of the things that Randall did with him, you know, we've got six, six less lessons. We have a saying in the military, if there's not one thing that everybody in your unit knows, then nobody knows anything. And what we mean by that is if you are not consistently training just a few simple things and make sure that everybody knows them, you basically have no idea the competency level of your unit. If you can't say, I know everyone here knows how to fire their rifle, then we don't know how you don't have any kind of uh, a training plan going on. So there's six things that we try to communicate. And there are things that I probably most you know practitioners would communicate how to um, receive the Holy Spirit, get baptized, to share your testimony, to share the gospel, to uh, saturate yourself in the scripture, to commit to a local church and to realign your life's priorities to follow Jesus. So I forgot to mention persecution, how to handle persecution in adversity. So those are the things that that got covered with uh, John and and Lauren in the beginning pretty quickly. So, but yeah, those are the kind of things that happen and it's been happening now for, you know, four years and John's hitting consistent third generation disciples now uh, in his life. And, and God has been faithful as he promises. So when they come to faith, Mm-hmm. What what does church look like? You're gonna get invited to someone's home, uh, for sure. And that was that was um, no doubt. That's the first thing that R did with John. Come to my home, bring your family for church. And um, they probably came in the living room, and there were some kids running around, you know, distracting everyone. And there's maybe three or four couples, probably in most of our churches. Sometimes as many as. I think in the church I'm leading right now in the local area, there's 20 adults in it. The living room is pretty full. Um, and uh, it was probably very highly interactive for them. Their three-thirds process was followed pretty, um, you know, strictly. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitive calls to practice and to obey the Holy Spirit, whatever he was leading them to do at the end of the meeting. That, I'm sure that that happened. And I've just watched uh, John lead his church recently. And that's what he does. <laughs> he walks through, he and his wife lead collaboratively together. And um, so, yeah, that's probably what church looked like. And and a lot of times we find out that um, people come to our church for the first time as a way to say, okay, I'm ready to follow Jesus now. Cause that can be a big step for the first time um, just to come and say, Hey, I'm going to go to this church in someone's home, a friend of mine's home. So at our goal at the end of the very first time that you gather with us for church is that you know how to share at a minimum your testimony. And at the end of your testimony to ask someone else the question, would you like to follow Jesus the way I am? And even if you haven't made the decision yet, are you interested in investigating Jesus the way I am? And so, and, and at that very first meeting, we tell everyone you are cleared right now to start your own church with your friends. Now, most people are blown away by that idea and they don't do that. Very rarely will someone immediately take what they learned in that meeting and reproduce it. But we found that we need to sow that idea up front in order for it to take root down the road. And so we cut them loose after the first meeting. And the one thing we tell them is we're launching you out to go do this, not because you're trained, but because you're in training. 
And we want you to make sure you come back next week so we can follow up on how it went. And so that is the path. I think of Mark 3, 14, um, he chose his disciples that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. So there's this kind of living rhythm pattern in our ministry where you're learning something, you're going out and trying to share it, and then you're coming back to, to be asked, how did it go? And kind of process the events and, and figure out what maybe didn't make sense the first time. And if people will stay involved in that process, both going out and sharing and coming back to continue to learn, usually we see pretty good reproduction coming out of their lives. Right now, we've got uh, identified churches uh, on Fort Benning, where I am, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, Fort Bliss, Texas, um, Fort Durham, New York, and then several other church starts in other places. That's the uh, that's the list of army installations, and then I'll I'll rattle off a few cities. Um, not all of these are big, and some of them are international. But Cookville, Tennessee, um, Columbus, Georgia. That's also here, but we've kind of grown outside the gate into the community in Columbus. Uh, Clinton, Tennessee. Marietta, Georgia, that's Atlanta. Rochester, New York, I mentioned. Uh, Fort Worth, Texas, that's Dallas. I, I mentioned that, Dallas-Fort Worth. Spokane, Washington. Uh, Athens, Georgia, through a student there on the campus at UGA. Um, Waterloo, Iowa. Jensen Beach, Florida. Denver, Colorado. Gainesville, Florida. And then, you know, I got six cities here in Pakistan where we have identified churches and a couple cities in Kenya, some places in India, and a couple places in Central Asia. So they're they're kind of popping up, you know, all over the place. What are you learning about the heart of this thing? If if you were to have your 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 people in the room, the people leading the churches. And you said, guys, this is what we're on about. What what would you yeah. say that was? Well, I hope that they would say, this is about Jesus. I'm convinced, Steve, that I listed off all those cities where churches are. And, um, but I'm convinced that the most important thing that I do every day is I get up and meet with Jesus in the word and prayer. That is my single most um, uh, high value practice. And it's about him and his glory. And, uh, and it's about being faithful right where you are. Um, and to, and to kind of grow where you're planted. And whenever we see people kind of take that to heart, that they just want to start one church right where they are, we usually see some pretty good growth. Um, I think sometimes people get distracted by, I want to see all these churches all over the place started at the same time. And it ends up being a mile wide and an inch deep and it actually doesn't get movement. It just kind of gets, um, you know, addition at best. I think those are some of the things that, that we would say, Hey, this is kind of the heart of this thing. And, um, you know, most of the people would say, Hey, I've, you know, I've started one or two churches that you know that's everybody is starting one or two churches and uh, the way you get more than that is by coaching somebody else to start the next one mm. the, i often tell people that's 
It's uh, it's not about you laboring harder. It's about you raising up more laborers. People like to talk a lot about empowering, and I think really empowering others to do the work um, is absolutely essential. And I think that's probably one of the things that all across No Place Love work we've been doing to change kind of a culture of um, no of of ordination um, at conversion. So typically we talk about priesthood of the believer, but um, we don't all mean the same thing by that when we talk about the priesthood of the believer. And so um, really what we mean is you're ordained to do the full work of God at conversion. You've got the spirit, you've got the word, and you've got, you know, you can do this. And if you take away that, that idea that, hey, the first night that you've come here, whatever we've shared with you, you're free to share that with others. If you take that away, you will suck the life out of kind of what has been happening for the last, I'll say, decade through through, through Army work. I, I forget who said it, but the, the last Reformation put the Bible in the hand of every believer, and this one is putting the ministry in the hand of every believer. And that that's been uh, kind of said in theory, uh, probably in the last, you know, I sense the Reformation that's probably been embraced in theory, but in practice it hasn't. And that's definitely one of the things that it's a distinction for us and our work across the body of Christ that, um, yeah, everyone's clergy. Mm. So what are you learning about your role? Yeah. Um, besides my best contribution to get up and get in the word and pray, my other best contribution is to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I think that, um, the leaders that we're raising up are, you know, more and more competent all the time. Uh, I'm learning more from them than they are for me. Um, you know, our friend in Pakistan that we help mobilize over there, he's teaching me all kinds of stuff about reaching cousins that I, um, you know, never dreamed I would learn. And, uh, that's been fantastic. So really it's just become a whole lot more collegial at this point. Um, and so I think that's one of my main roles is just to encourage them and, and to give them a lot of space to try things, um, and to kind of walk, you know, with them on ideas, you know, and I've, I've got, you know, some new disciples in our home. They need a lot of direction and leading them. I'm like, no, do this don't do this, start doing this. And they get a lot of, um, you know, pretty unabashed um, direction from me. But with the leaders we're raising up around the world now, it's give them a lot of space, give them a lot of rope um, to try stuff. Another thing that's kind of emerging for me in my role is um, helping do some of the administration. Like I have a list of all those places because as we do, um, assessments of leaders, I, I collect their data and their feedback, and I kind of try to begin to categorize it. And we're using an app called Seed Sower to help us track where the gospel's going out and where it's not. So that's putting a little bit of administration in everyone's hand. But that's one of my jobs um, to help describe concretely what God is doing. So we can see where the kingdom is and isn't, and we can, you know, partner in meaningful ways with other other works in the body. So there's a couple of things that come to mind when I think about my job. Where's this headed, Jim? What what are you trusting God for? 
Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Well, I'm pretty reassured that in, on December 31st, 2024, uh, what the Lord would like me to do is to, um, kind of turn, take off the NPL army website and just kind of shut the whole thing down. Um, Jesus taught us that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I think, you know, most of us think about, I personally need to die if I'm going to bear fruit. That's true. But I think a church also needs to die to itself if it's going to reproduce another church. And I think in some ways, you know, a movement or an emerging movement needs to die as well so that it can bear a whole bunch of movements. And so we're going to try to track really carefully over the next um, couple of years to describe, hey, this is what God has done through NPL Army work. And then we're going to, I I can't really shut it. I mean, I say I'm going to like, can't really shut it down. I don't, I didn't start it. I can't end it, but I'm going to probably, you know, what can I do? Take down the website and uh, go on a sabbatical and kind of say, okay, guys, uh, let's see what happens when I just cut y'all loose to go for this thing. And um, I think that's the way ahead. I think that's a way that um, NPL Army needs to die to itself. And and maybe a hundred NPL Armies will, will birth up out of that, I hope. So that's something that's coming in the future for us. And um, we're just going to try to describe what God does over that time and how far we get toward our goal of 30 by 25, which is a bunch of different things by 2025. We want to see God do 30,000 gospel shares ringing out every um, every two weeks. We want to see 3,000 churches planted and 30 strings of churches to the fourth generation that touch 30 major cities and 30 major army installations. And, at least 3,000 baptisms. So, you know, we've got some some prayer in there to be. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. That is such a good question, Steve, because it actually will tell you what do you really, really value? Because whatever you really, really value, when you're dead tired, you'll do it anyway. And that's true of, you know, if you're an addict, you're motivated for whatever you're addicted to. That's what you value. Um, you know, if you are a businessman and money is your idol, you will get out of bed to make the next buck. And so it can be a really exacting question to ask yourself, what would I wake up out of a dead sleep for, for a chance to do this thing? This is what gets me going. And, um, you know, after I get over some of the more impure or less the holy things that might get me out of bed in the morning, I go, okay, but in my sobriety, what do I really value? And um, it's to be with Jesus. It's to walk with him, to see what he's up to, to be part, to abide in Christ and be unified with him. And, um, even if I we didn't have the list of stuff that we're rattling off that God's doing, I would get out of bed anyway. I would <laughs> I'm kind of excited to kind of like, you know, hey NPL Army, you're trained up, you're good. We're just gonna let you go now. Cause I just I want to get up in the morning 
and read my Bible and meditate on the thoughts of God. And then, you know, walk over onto that army post over there and share the gospel of the soldier again. And just come back to walking with Jesus in, you know, in that, in that simplicity um, and just the joy of walking with him in that way. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the Movements podcast, why don't you spread the word on social media or leave a review wherever you get your podcast. This is Steve Addison for the Movements podcast.